So today, you know, of course, as you know, as you can tell by all the sea of red, right? It's a very significant day in the life of the church because it's Pentecost Sunday. And it's a time that actually represents an ending as well as a beginning. It's the end of the, the great 50 days of the Easter season uh, and the beginning of the commemoration of the ascension of our Lord to the throne of the universe and of the descending of the Holy Spirit, which is really a day unlike any of the other holidays that we celebrate because it's one that we share with our Jewish brothers and sisters as well. Uh, one of the names that they have for it is called the season of the giving of the law because it commemorates the revelation given to Moses on Mount Sinai. Uh, but even though both faiths, both Christians and Jews, celebrate the day with different intentions, there's one name for it that both Christians and Jews agree on, because we both refer to it as Pentecost. Uh, the name, that you, as you probably saw in your bulletin, taken from the Greek word for 50th, because it always comes exactly 50 days from the Jewish feast of first fruits and our celebration of the miracle of Easter. And so... Uh, for our Jewish friends, it's a reminder of the time that the flaming presence of, of the God of heaven and earth descended to Mount Sinai to make a covenant of mercy and love with his people. Uh, a covenant that by the time we get to Jesus' day, uh, the Jews had been celebrating for about 1,400 years. But then for us as Christians, we mark the fact that on one particular anniversary of that great event, uh, the one that was held on most likely May the 24th of 33 AD, that the book of Acts tells us that while those Jewish believers were celebrating their reception of the direct revelation of God to them in the desert, that God the Holy Spirit descended on the disciples who were gathered in an upper room in Jerusalem, and the church was born in a blaze of glory. So how could we not celebrate a day like today? Especially when it demonstrates such a dramatic example of God's desire to connect. To connect directly with his people that he has made, and to do it... Uh, in such a dramatic fashion, not just as an ecstatic experience or just with peals of thunder and flashes of lightning, but to do it personally and verbally through his word. And we're going to be looking at a couple different texts today, but our primary text this morning, and I hope you have your Bibles with you, is from the book of Acts, chapter 2. And it's going to be on the screen, but it's, it's good to have your own Bible with you so you can look at it uh, in the scriptures and then take it home with you. I'm going to be reading to you the first 13 verses. This is Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Listen for the voice of the Spirit. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound of the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of them in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Pythia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongue the mighty works of God. 
And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said they are filled with new wine. And brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to us today. Thanks be to God. Father God, we ask, uh, as we always do, but especially on this Pentecost Sunday, that you would uh, take the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart and make it acceptable in your eyes. Uh, make it receptive to the ears of the people that you're calling to yourself. You've, you promised, Lord, to send sheep who have ears to hear, and so we ask by your grace today uh, that your Holy Spirit would open ears, eyes, and minds. Uh, and we ask you, Lord, to let us see Jesus in this text, because it's in his name we pray. Amen. So, you know, as some, some of you may know this, few of you do, that, but I'm a person who's always loved languages, lots and lots of different languages, and I'm no scholar in any of them when it comes to this, and probably couldn't give you more than a handful of words or phrases in any of the languages that I've attempted to learn. But still, I've always been fascinated how people use languages in their daily life. Like, for instance, some of you that speak more than one language will tell you, I, I always ask a person I meet that's bilingual or multilingual, what language do you think in? Right? I, I, I just think that's curious, right? Because words are such a big part of who people are and how they form their, uh, their ideas and their impressions of the world. Uh, and because with words, you can communicate almost anything. Right? We can speak forcefully and energetically to make sure our point of view is heard. We can whisper to keep other people from guessing what we're talking about. With language, we can declare our love for one another. With language, we can ask for food or we can write laws or road signs to help find our way around. In fact, our world is almost unthinkable without intelligible language. Because language unites us. And at the same time, it also divides us, right? Language can be destructive. For every word of love, there can be a word of hate. Uh, every time we speak peace, someone else can declare war. For every truth, there may be a corresponding lie. In fact, one author put it like this. He said, of all the achievements of human genius, nothing is more wonderful than language. And yet it also is true that nothing is more destructive for it unites us and yet separates us. Like this, uh, this exchange student that I was telling Vicky about uh, from another country that was trying to, to learn English, and so he decided to try to impress some of his English-speaking friends with his newfound skill. Uh, so he turned to one of them and said, you know, my problem with your English language is the words are too vague-y. And the, man, the man's friend said, what, what did you say? And so the student replied, he said, the meaning of your words are too vague-y. And the friend was like, no, 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 no. It, it's not vague-y, it's vague. And the man said, I can't, can't believe it. Every time I try to use a new English word, my tongue-y gets all twisted up. And so his friend said, no, 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 it's not, it's not tongue-y, it's, it's tongue. And he said, let me give you a grammatical rule. Every time you see an English word that ends in U-E, the U-E is silent. So it's not vague-y, it's vague. Right? It's not, it's not tongue-y, it's tongue. And so the student just said, okay, okay, fine. I don't want to arg about it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and I tell you that for a reason, because, because the story of Pentecost that we're celebrating today uh, is a story of words that transcends the barriers of language, the barriers uh, that actually began in the very first book of the Bible at the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. So Genesis 11 tells us the whole world was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. 
And they said to one another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime they had for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have one language, and this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. And so the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all of the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord there confound the languages of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them upon the face of all the earth. And so it looks like from the text that their, their words got them into a little bit of trouble, didn't it? And you would think these folks would have learned the lesson, right? Because we're only two chapters earlier, we have the story of the flood, where, where the people are living in unrestrained sin, and so God judges them, and he sends the deluge, saving only eight people. And you'd think humanity would maybe learn a lesson from that, but not so much. So Noah and his family leave the ark. Their descendants begin to subdue the earth again. And before you know it, sin is on its merry way, leading directly to these people talking themselves into disobeying God. And we're still doing that exact same thing today, right? And it's not that God doesn't want people to use language to be industrious or ingenious or creative. He's the author of all of those things. But it's the intent of the heart that's using them and of the mouth that's speaking them that matters, right? And that's still true for us right now. I mean, look, look at what people today are able to do with language. We, we can write out blueprints. We can design hospitals and schools. Programmers can write code to create amazing computer programs and video games. Uh, researchers communicate to discover cures for all kinds of diseases. And, and even now, we can transmit messages like we just talked to Kitty in Washington, D.C., right? By cell phone to the other side of the country, around the world, and all the way up into men and women that we've sent into outer space. We can do all kinds of ingenious things, but whose glory is it for? Is it for our glory or for God's? And, and you know, as we read through the scripture lesson today, you notice kind of two big reasons why the people wanted to build this gigantic tower. First, they, they said, right, they verbalized with their words, it would be so that they weren't scattered over the face of the earth. But that idea was in direct disobedience to God's command. Because if you remember, God told Noah and his descendants after they left the ark to be fruitful and to increase in number and to fill the earth. What did the people do? They said, uh, no, we don't want to do it that way. We want to do things our own way and in our own good time. And isn't that really the root of all sin? What, what I want versus what God wants? Uh, that could be a whole sermon in itself. But, but the second reason for wanting to build this massive tower, they said, was so they could reach or communicate into heaven. And if you look at the context of the original languages here, it isn't so much that the people were actually attempting to build a tower, you know, like Jack's beanstalk that would actually touch the, the clouds, but a tower that reached into heaven, that contacted heaven. See, that, that's, the, that's exactly what ancient Mesopotamian ziggurat temple towers were for. They were for making connections into the heavens. If, you, if you've ever seen them, the inner walls on the top tiers are decorated with all these blue glazed tiles with the sun and 
the moon and the seven planets they knew at the time, Mercury, uh, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn, all lined up across the plains of the zodiac. Uh, pyramids in Egypt are similar to that, and uh, much later, the Mayan temples in Central America kind of all built along those lines. And one author said of these, this was not an innocent, naive, primitive effort to reach out to the creator, but instead a brilliant and blasphemous effort to dismiss the need for the God of heaven and earth forever in an effort whose enterprise reeked with all the human pride and arrogance that had dominated mankind from before the flood. So you see what they were trying to do, and in their own words, they said this, they wanted to make a name for themselves. And I kind of love the irony of what happens in verse 5. Remember when it says, uh, and he's kind of carefully chosen sarcastic words, but the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that men had built. So it's clear God was not so much impressed with it, right? And it wasn't that he actually had to physically leave heaven to see it, but it's kind of this figure of speech of like how, how far down there it actually, God actually had to come down to see this best effort and these high sounding words. You can almost picture God up in heaven looking down toward earth and saying, you know, these, these people that I have created, and that I've preserved, they're up to it again, and now they're all united in opposition to me, and they have one language. They're all on the same page, and this is what they do? Because this, with this kind of effort now, nothing will hold them back from all the debauchery they can imagine. Nothing will be impossible for them to do to bring dishonor to God and destruction to themselves. And, and what was God's judgment for this sin? He doesn't send an earthquake to collapse the tower. He doesn't send a big hurricane to blow everything away. There's no fire and brimstone. He simply makes it so people can't communicate with each other. Right? He changes their language. I mean, I mean, his punishments go, it's pretty simple, right? It's powerful. It's appropriate. And the result is chaos and confusion that leaves their human pride in ruins, and so the people disperse. And they can't talk to each other anymore, so they just leave and taking their newfound languages with them, and ironically, they end up filling the world just the way God had originally commanded. And so that's where the account of the story of Babel ends, but it's not the end of the story. Because if you remember, we've talked about this many times before, about when we track the redemption narrative through the whole Bible, one way to look at it in the scriptures is to consider how the Old Testament explains why we need redemption, and the New Testament details how God accomplished it. And I think today's two lessons provide a perfect example of that in how the proud words that brought down the curse of Babel are redeemed by the power of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And I want you to see how that, how that works together as we pick up the text from the last verse I left off on. Remember the scoffing was, okay, these men were, were just drunk, right? So picking up for the primary text, Peter steps forward with the 11 other apostles and he shouts to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you, Fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make, make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as you may be assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. But people of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus of Nazareth by doing powerful miracles and wonders and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen. And his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed with the help of lawless Gentiles. You nailed him to a cross and killed him, but God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the place of honor in heaven at God's right hand. 
And the Father, as he promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see and hear today. And so let everyone know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, Each of you, each of you, must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this promise is to you and to your children and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. And you guys see how beautifully these two texts, this one from Genesis and now in Acts, kind of booked in, book into each other? Because when we look at these passages in the light of Jesus Christ, we're able to see a whole new perspective of what the story of Babel is all about and what the power of Pentecost accomplished, which is not so much the reversal of Babel as its redemption. Right? Reversing the Tower of Babel would mean that, you know, maybe people return to speaking a single language or hearers return to hearing a single language, but that isn't what happened at Pentecost. So Pentecost, instead of of people speaking one language now, people of every tongue and tribe and language and nation are now united by the power of the Holy Spirit instead of by the patterns of their speech. And our culture and our language may be different, but the message is the same. The message of the wonders of God and of our salvation in and through Jesus Christ as the Holy Spirit calls all men and women everywhere to repent and believe for the forgiveness of their sins. Right, because that's what both stories are ultimately about that in the fullness of time God sent his son and that he died on a cross to pay for my willful sinfulness and then he rose from the dead and then he ascended to the highest place in heaven and now he draws God and humanity back together as one with himself as the bridge, with himself as the tower, the only means of access to heaven, the only legitimate communication and the very words of life between the two at Pentecost when God pours out the Holy Spirit on his people and immediately they begin to preach in these multitude of tongues. Not, not, in, not in gibberish and not just strictly emotion-filled experiences, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. So that from then until now, the gospel has conquered every language barrier, has brought back together every ethnic divide, has traveled over every continent to unite God's people into one whole and holy Christian church. And brothers and sisters, God himself has given us the kingdom and the community of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And now, here we are today sitting in his assembly, and what's our hope? It's our hope that someday he's going to give all of us the fullness of that kingdom to share together. And, you know, I think kind of the, the ironic thing, and, you know, at the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis, sinful people try to build a tower that goes up to heaven, but by the end of the book, after Pentecost, by the time we get to the book of Revelation, God sends heaven down to us. Revelation chapter 21 tells us, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. and He'll live with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes so there'll be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. 
And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. And if I had time to read the rest of that chapter to you, you see the measurements of that city were given. It's 1,400 miles long and 1,400 miles wide and 1,400 miles high. So it's this gigantic tower into the heavens, the tower of God given to those who live by faith in Jesus Christ, who willingly humbled himself to buy me access to that city. And if you're in Christ, he bought your access to it too. A city where righteousness dwells, a city where love and unity and laughter are, a city that will go into eternity for the praise of our God and for his glory forever, and where we'll never cease to hear and to speak his praises. And so that's the offer that I want to leave you with this morning. Brothers and sisters, the offer of the gospel that's good in every language and that's in no danger of being misinterpreted because it's delivered directly by the Spirit of God. And here it is. But what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your hearts. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses resulting in salvation. So brothers and sisters, I say to you today in Jesus' name, open your mouth. Make a confession. Today is the day to be saved. Today is the day. Don't let it pass you by. Will you pray with me? The Spirit of the living God, we ask you to fall afresh on us today, Lord, as we leave this place. Make us bold witnesses, Lord, and willing servants wherever you send us as we leave. We ask, Father, this morning that if there's even one among us or one listening online or in the podcast, that, uh, Father, if they don't know you as Lord and Savior, that you would surprise them by the power of your Holy Presence, that you would pour out your Spirit upon them, Lord, opening their eyes and hearts and minds. Uh, we ask, Father, you draw them to yourself as you promised to do. Uh, and for all of us, Lord, send us out this week to be ambassadors for Christ. And we ask these things in his name. Amen.